everybody, it's me, Lady Ada, here at the Adafruit factory at the end of a busy week of electronic engineering, software, and debugging. And I'm here with new best friend, Mark Garrison, visiting from New York from San Francisco Bay Area. Traveled all the way here for some reason. Uh, I'm going to um, selfishly say just to be on the show. Uh, well, it is definitely one of the highlights, okay. if not the highlight of the trip. Well, you're the co-founder and CTO of this company called... So it's pronounced Salier. Salier. Um, Ooh, I've been saying it wrong all this time. Salier. Okay, so what? what why, why this name? So many vowels. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. So we started working on logic analyzers in 2008, but the name Salier came in 2005 uh, when my brother and I were working on other miscellaneous side projects, and we needed to have some sort of uh, legal company entity uh, just to, like, fill in the company line. You're like, I need the EIN. What, uh, what exactly. do I put in? Okay, so. And so we didn't really know. We were working on some random project, but we knew that we just needed a company for any kind of project we were working on. Completely so unrelated. Exactly. Okay. And so the, the requirements were the .com domain name needed to be available. Yeah, um, And uh, we needed, you know, I'm not actually sure where it came from. Joe says it comes from the periodic table, uh, the element selenium. Selenium, um, okay. The, and we found the sound salier, and we really liked the sound of that, but we couldn't good, for the life of us spell it. Good enough reason. So salier is how you say it. Uh, and everyone knows your product for like the last decade and a half you've been making logic analyzers. That's and now some oscilloscopy type logic analyzers. But logic analyzers have been your bread and butter. Right. And we got into this, um, uh, let's see, my brother and I are both electrical engineers. Yeah. He was working on a different hardware product um, back Come in. Come closer. Uh, yeah. I know it's fun to lean back, but the mic's here. He was working on a different hardware product and needed a logic analyzer. And okay. we barely even knew what a logic analyzer was because they did not introduce that concept into school. Yeah. Uh, and you don't really see it very often. Yeah. But we knew that we needed tools to help debug firmware. And it's the same problems over and over again where you have your microcontroller, you have your wireless module or your sensor. You're sending some bits, but then you're like, are they my really these bits and how fast are they going and you can't trust anything exactly and most of it is just guess and check you know maybe you slow the clock down as far as you can or you can use mm. a voltmeter to check the signal and, or maybe you, you're stepping through the firmware and you're just, you're just trying to figure out what's broken okay and so we had uh, let's see we have a couple of them lying around the office now but we've managed to buy the cheapest logic analyzer available yeah and it made things about 20% better okay it was like uh, well, I, now we, instead of fighting that problem we were fighting the other tools yeah. Uh, and so I think probably... You broke your tools with your tools, and now you have no tools. Yeah, exactly. And the concept is simple. We just need to record some digital signals and put them on the screen. Uh, kind of hard, do that, though. Not that easy. Like, it seems it would be easy, but it's actually it's kind of a challenge. Yeah. You know, and the, the hard part is, I think, the... Um, once you have the data there, like, what do you do with it? How do you make that, like, a great experience for people to actually uh, find what they're looking for, sort, sift through large amounts of data, kind of use it all the time, reduce the barrier so that instead of hauling out some large, you know, yeah, boat Yeah, logic analyzers were like, they're oscilloscopes, essentially. There's big-ass things with CRTs. That's what we had in school. But you're like, we have CRTs on our desk already, computers. Yeah, and we and like later on, we ended up uh, buying from a friend. It's like two thousand, like a oscilloscope from two thousand and eight, as a built-in logic analyzer. And to this day, I haven't been able to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, challenging. Um, but people like the Salier logic. In fact, I, some people might be wondering, well, what does this thing look like? Well, we have one here. That maybe you could point out the features of this black square. 
So the uh, the basic idea is that a traditional logic analyzer, everything's in one: the screen, the inputs, the data processing, the storage. Yeah. Our, the idea for all of our logic analyzers is it's just a simple USB device. Okay. And so you can see on the back we have a little USB port. So this is classic. So I have a USB Mini, but they don't have USB Mini anymore. Right? I think you're right. Micro B, but this is like oh, you said it was like OG. It's like old. Old one. It's one of the first ones. Yeah. That came so out. this is uh, the Logic 16, um, and we shipped this thing. I think on my graduation day from college, actually. Oh yeah. Um, it's a good graduation present. It, uh, it was a lot of fun. The uh, the big thing is it has 16 digital inputs. So just for context, we can actually wire this. Okay. Guy so up. this this is the what are the, these are the input ports, and this is the output port. Right. Computer. Okay. So then to this side, you connect. Right. So you have these little wire harnesses. Okay. And they just plug into the front. And the general idea is you're working on some sort of a circuit board or a series of dev kits or a breadboard, and uh, you just want to like hook up little clips. Okay, so this is your ground, and then you've got this is nine pins because you have ground and then eight different color contacts. Yeah, and so the idea, general idea is use these clips for better or for worse. We'll see which ones. Those these are pretty are. nice clips. You know, the, they're, uh, they're. Oh, can you show the the tip? Oh, the there we go. Yeah, screen. I should look at the screen, shouldn't I? That helps That's a okay. lot. So the general idea is you hook up clips like this to the circuit board you're working on. And Perhaps then, yes, look, there's a circuit board over right there. Here. Maybe I want to debug this um, SPI flash. Yeah, so, so then this is really convenient because that SPI flash chip is just big enough to clip, and maybe it's a little bit too big. Oh, no, you got small, it. But okay, so you've got, you can connect one to every one of those eight pins. Yeah. And then on your computer, while you're running the firmware on this chip, the data comes out. And yeah. it looks a little bit like this simulation here, <laughs> which we pre recorded. This is not actually us. Okay, sampling. And it does it do real time or it's after the fact? So what you're looking at right now is after the fact. The idea is you press start, you record for a amount of time, and then you, uh, it stops or you manually stop it, and then you kind of review, uh, review what you're looking at. And usually you can find where the, because it's hard to actually stop and start, like the data's coming back and forth so fast, a human can't look at it anyways. Yeah, and so for digital data, the, uh, we do actually have real time view for analog and digital. Um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that um, in the future. But for digital data, usually what you want to do is you want to record quite a bit of it, and then that gives you all the context. So you're not just looking at a little blip of what's going on. You're actually seeing from the moment the chip powers on mm -hmm. to uh, you know the firmware is loaded. We start initializing the other components. We start routinely recording signals or routinely writing to memory or trying to pair with a prior over Wi-Fi, that kind of stuff. You yeah. get all the context in one place. Uh, now for analog signals, which this product does not support, the uh, the current products, Generation 3, have analog inputs. And the way we like to think about it is it's a logic analyzer with analog data recording built in. Um, for like your power supply, perhaps, or yeah. like a bias voltage that you're checking. It was not, maybe it's good for like if you have a DAC of some sort, but it's not at the oscilloscope the same way right. that a desktop oscilloscope is. Yeah, it's uh, it's got a 5 megahertz bandwidth limit. Uh -huh. It does not have variable gain and shift, uh -huh. um, and it does not have any of the other oscilloscope features like a real analog trigger, which is used for the real-time display. Um, it doesn't have uh, it doesn't have like the fancy features like 50 ohm mode or oh, like FFT. Mode, but it could be good for like you're you're seeing your chip is failing and is it like the power supply is drooping, which does happen. Like sometimes you you flip all the bits or you tell it to go and your chip goes into a certain mode. The chip comes up, it sucks a bunch of power, the power supply dips, and then suddenly it stops working. So that could be really handy. Yeah. Uh, stuff like um, your I2C, I2C lines, like uh, how's these pull-up resistors working? Mm, that's you can a look good at point. the nice slope on that. Yeah, you can yeah, measure yeah. That's really so you see the digital signal, but maybe you, you're like, okay, I see the digital, but I also want to know what is the transfer 
yeah. function or if there's ringing is that what's causing problems yeah. like a uh, termination issues yeah, and so it, uh, it helps for low-speed applications like that. Mm -hmm. uh, also, it has lower analog sample rates, which allows you to record for fairly long periods of time, and that's something we really want to improve in the future. Yeah. But uh, let's say if you wanted to measure you know, temperature or the voltage droop of a device as it slowly drains, that mm. kind of stuff, you can actually you know, go, uh, that's true. go grab a coffee and come yeah. back and use your recording. Okay, so, so this is the old one, but the new ones, you know, they have analog, and the, the thing that your, your, your big thing is the software. That's like your, and we showed that briefly. So let's uh, let's actually look at the, the team of folks that you have here. So this is, is this really all the people you've got right now? Uh, so that photo is a little bit old. So we have um, a couple of consultants and the contractors, uh, one full-time uh, graphic designer just not in that photo. Who are but, these wonderful uh, people? Tiny. Um, so we have Oz in the back left there, uh, Christina. And then Wait, you have like, the same shirt on. <laughs> Uh, no, actually, yeah, so Similar. I own about 11 different machine t-shirts. Okay, so, the, the, so people know you when they see the, the cat. Yeah, well, my okay. friends do. Um, okay. And I think in technical customer support, if you contact me, you will see a little machine icon eating oh. pizza or something like okay. that. Okay. Um, well, this one's reading a book. Okay. Uh, Tim is actually, uh, he's an electrical engineer too, and he also runs um, like technical customer support. He's got the blue jacket on. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. No one can see where I'm pointing yeah. here. Yeah. Then myself, uh, when my hair is still dyed, and Deborah, our operations. She's uh, got the pink shirt on. Yeah. Sweater. She operations. Okay, who's the fellow in the cool leather jacket? So that's my brother, Joe. And okay. uh, he's nine years older than me, although for some reason people can't tell. <laughs> that's probably good for him. Yeah. But, uh, so he has actually been working on different ideas, different like company ideas since he was a small kid. Like he's, this is, he's the entrepreneur. Yeah. He's like the Steve Jobs like of he, watch canalizers. Well, that would be awesome. Uh, but <laughs> I think he like when he was young, he was actually like trying to sell pop popcorn like door to door, like he'd pop popcorn. Yes. And for a while, he was like buying like. Uh, like audio equipment, electrical audio equipment had broken down off of the classifieds in the newspaper, trying to fix it and reselling it in the yeah. classifieds to try to make money that way. Okay. Um, He's a hustler. Yeah, and, it, and it, once he got into electronics, it was just like, you know, the world is my oyster. And, yeah, because uh, now I can fix any stereo system and resell it. And then he got you involved. Yeah, and so I got, he got, he suckered me into it when I was in high school with dreams of like, you know, getting rich and building cool robots and that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, but the, uh, I think, let's see. They don't talk about things like making payroll and dealing with like 401k oh, contracts. Oh yeah. The, they, uh, there's well, always getting rich and making robots, but there's a little bit more of that. Yeah, and uh, we built a lot of cool stuff and it was a learning experience because yeah. we both grew up in Arizona. We had really no exposure to like what uh, other people who have done this before or venture capital or any of those sort of things. Uh, and so we kind of just making it up as we went along. And as classic introvert electrical engineers, uh, we just, you know, it was us, the internet, and like what was available in my our apartments, and yeah. not really like let's go out and ask people how they did it. And that yeah, kind of you just you just kind of did it. Which I remember, I remember when the first Logic ads came out, and I was like, damn, these people are very aggressive. They're like, this is our thing, you know, we're we're offering this one item, but it does it very well, and this is the software. And at the time. Software for electrical engineers was like a very dirty word. Like having good software for tools was uh, considered a waste of time. It was like, well, you should make the hardware good, and then the software is just some like crummy command line tool that only runs on like Windows 9, 9X or something. Yeah, that's, it, that's the worst. Yeah, it's the worst. And you and I have experienced that. It's like, oh man, how did I get into like TI MSP 430 like development kit? And what, what, you know, destroys your computer. I once installed ORCAD and it actually like destroyed my computer. Um, and I think what was neat is to see this very fresh take. I think being outsiders is really valuable 
right? It's like you're like the Smith and Wesson of logic analyzers. Like you didn't know what was expected, so you're like, well, we're going to make something that's good for us. Exactly. And, and what you, what's good for you is actually good for everybody. Fortunately, it worked out that way because uh, we it was really just a problem we were working on and we needed it. Um, and the original logic analyzer, I think the first, the thing we were actually selling had like 35 parts on it. Yeah. So it was like hand soldering these things together, like in the little tiny cubicle he was renting at the co-working yeah, space. Yeah, it's this cl class. I also, I also worked with the Cypress FX at the time, so I was like, I know this chip. This is the worst chip. Weird ass USB driver loading through the drive thing. Yeah. But, you know, it's the, it's the cheapest, fastest USB chip you could get at the time. Absolutely. And it is basically a logic analyzer and a chip. It just yeah. has a parallel bus on the one side. It's configurable either 16 channels or 8 channels and ability to stream it with a couple different stream control modes. And yeah. And, and I, what's, what's neat is I'm not the only person who thinks that your stuff's really great. Your reviews on Amazon, we took a screenshot from your site. You're proud of this. Thanks. Pretty sweet. Yeah. So now I have to say this is not was not live updating when you took a screenshot of it. So I'm not 100 percent sure exactly. I hope every day you're like you know exactly what your percentage is. That'd be cool. The, uh, so actually, um, the current alpha software you can leave feedback directly in the app. Yeah. We've always had that link in there, but now it just little pop up and you can send a message. And then when you press that send button, send button, it just shows up in my Slack immediately. Oh wow, that's and pretty so interesting. So you're just like, hey Mark, what's up? Now I might not see it right away because I do have that channel muted. Uh, yeah. But. Uh, no, because it's like three like, in the morning, you don't be woken up by yeah. like, hey, what's this button do? Yeah, so trying to collect feedback is like the main thing we're doing. Cause, so uh, just to tell you a little bit about the app, the software situation. We've been software selling, yes. our, our products have used the same core software uh, since 2010, 2009 technically. Yes, and, which supports uh, Mac, Linux, Windows, so people love that. And we've been sort of building features and features on top of that. And at some Decoders, point we added analogs the Analog, yeah, okay, so this has become like a big morass. Yeah, and thank goodness people like it because I somewhere in there is Mark's first C plus plus code. Okay, like, th this is kind of a a it's project that's like that. a patchwork yeah. of uh, of code to the point where uh, if, you know it, we felt like felt this a lot internally is that feature development slows down because twenty percent of your time is adding some cool new feature and eighty percent of your time is trying to make it work inside of the rest of this sort of correct. Yeah, you know, the the situation you built yourself into. Yes. Um, and it's it like got, the technical debt. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And so learning it kind of the hard way about like, okay, maybe we need to like, if we want to make Salier great, yeah. and we want to like take this software and just kind of keep building it into something that, uh, I don't know, I, like uh, when I look at it, I just mostly see the things that I want to improve now. Uh, yeah. But uh, if I want to like actually make the dream of like building just a beautiful application, it's easy to use. Uh, works extremely reliably, which is a really big component of that. We need to look at how we actually do this. And so uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, we started a new project. And the whole point of that project was like, how do we actually add real-time? Does this project have like a, a code name? Uh, you know, let's see. Um, what is uh, it called the project? Uh, you know, is, there, is there a name that you can't say because it's like not okay to say on TV? There's a lot of words. So Graph.io is the name of the uh, back-end data processing system, okay. um, and which is a complete separation from the UI. Yeah. So the idea is that now the process of recording it, um, uh, transforming it into a memory, for like basically compressing it, how to render it, it's a very hard CS problem. And so we've been f focusing a lot of effort on lot of data. high performance. Yeah. Um, like it's easily, easily you can get like like 500 megabytes of data. It's trivial. Yeah, we have customers that are buying 64 gigs of RAM for their computer and SSD so that they can run over the 64 gigs of RAM and yes. still be recording it. Yes, because you're uh, sampling at huge rates. 
Yeah. So it's like even if your signal isn't that fast, you don't, you know, because you're sampling. I mean, this is why you should always set the sample rate to whatever that matches. But you may need to be capturing incredibly fast data for over a few minutes at a time. Yeah. Boom. And, if and you you can't transfer. It's like you may not be able to transfer that streaming. You actually might have to like you know you have to send it all at once. So that's actually one thing that we uh, that uh, there's kind of two categories of logic analyzers. Yeah. Ones that stream it all the time over USB, and yeah. then ones that just record it, buffer it, and then send it over. Yeah. And we are completely in the streaming only camp. You're only streaming, but what happens if like there's some noise? You know, there's some busy issues. Yeah. So let's or... say you plug in your webcam or you start copying your favorite tunes. Or people off of don't USB realize hard their hard drive is on the same yeah. bus. Yeah. Uh, then you get this lovely error message that um, a small percentage of our customers, like. That's the pain of our existence. Uh, uh, that's yeah. like, I'm sorry, but Logic was unable to keep up with the sampling rate. Yeah. And we have, we have USB 2.0 and 3.0 protocol analyzers to look at the timing of that, trying yeah. to figure out what layer is things going wrong. We have USB host controllers, which is the part of your PC that talks USB. We have yeah. one of those from every vendor, uh, which we tested across, you know, Windows. Thank goodness we're dropping Windows XP, but uh, Oh, yeah, Windows no, you got to kill that. I would kill Windows, Windows 7, 10. too. I actually tell people with Windows 7, I'm like, it's been 10 years. I'm sorry. Is it really? It's been 10 years. Wow. Move on. It's it's now, Windows 10 is quite good. Move to it. Yeah, so um, the... Uh, sorry, for, I do get sometimes Windows XP people, and I'm like, look, that's 20 years. Yeah, so <laughs> speaking of uh, being stuck with, like, older software, the... Um, we have a lot of like um, the larger companies that uh, buy our products, and they're yeah. almost exclusively on like Dell Latitudes. Like I oh, know, totally. I know every Dell Latitude. Like which <laughs> version of the <laughs> USB driver shipped with that computer? Because Windows Seven didn't have built-in USB three drivers. Well, but wait a minute. Like, you can barely even run CAD software on those. Like I'm kind of surprised. Well, I mean, you can buy a brand new Latitude today. Oh yeah, but I'm saying they're not. It's not that the Latitudes are ten years old. It's just that they have. Because I'm like, they're, if they're running Windows Seven, that Dell Latitude from ten years ago, you can't run. Cat like Eagle Cat won't run on anything slower than three years now. Like, yeah. Now we, we were also troubleshooting this a couple of years ago when we were in the middle of the USB 3.0 problems. But, yeah. Uh, the it's just like that's how it works. You just get uh, here's your company issued Dell laptop. Unfortunately, new ones are now issued with Windows 10. But we still have people that were issued. And they have, you know, uh, this Intel host controller driver is not compatible with our products. You're going to need to install this one. We have other mm. problems where it's already installed, but uninstalled, reinstall it. But they don't have to go into, de go into I, detail. Asynchronous is not quite what they say it is. So if, if maybe somebody's watching this and they're like, these sound like problems I'd love to solve and work on. There's people like that. Do you guys have job openings and stuff? Yeah, so we're actually actively uh, hiring three positions. Um, uh, potentially four, actually. The so the the software side of things, we're looking for a front end developer. Um, we're basically building the new alpha software. The front end is written in uh, React and TypeScripts, mm -hmm. uh, and it's um, it's actually a really interesting problem because unlike traditional web applications, most of our application it runs entirely locally on your computer, and it's mostly a data visualization tool. Since so we have WebGL, we have a lot of Canvas stuff in there. We have a lot of like. Um, performance issues, a lot of uh, performance tuning around mouse interactions and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, because you're able to scan in and out and scroll through, again, megabytes and megabytes of data. Yeah. Very and fast. I'm going to try and prevent myself from talking about that too long because I that, I kind of eat, sleep, and breathe it's, that exact problem. Yes, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, how hard can it be? Actually, very hard. Yeah. So <laughs> if you want to solve the problem of how do you actually record data at 3 gigabit and then transform it into a format you can render rapidly, we're looking for a C++ developer to work on the back end of our application. Uh, we actually restarted from scratch the back end of our application uh, early this year, uh, try to get away from the 
uh, the architecture issues of our old software. And this new architecture is completely um, decoupled. It's actually sim a little bit similar to GNU Radio um, or other sort of block-based processing tools where you're building individual nodes to kind of stream data together. And so one node might be doing uh, compression or running an IIR filter to uh, compensate or calibrate recordings. Uh, we have storage nodes and rendering nodes and measurement nodes and that kind of stuff. Um, and that's really an exciting project and that's probably what we need the most right now, actually. Yeah. Uh, and then we're looking for um, electrical engineer. Um, so I don't want to get into too many specifics just because it's uh, a little bit too far out to kind of make any com like public commitments, but we are looking for um, an electrical engineer for um, like high-speed digital design and uh, we're looking for FPGA uh, you're, yeah, HDL you're, skills. You, you ditched the Cypress a while ago and now it's all FPGA based. Well, we still actually, so we have an FPGA in front of the Cypress chip. The Cypress just handles the USB, but the FPGA handles all the data right. capture and gets it ready. Yeah, it actually did all the FPGA development for our current generation of products. Oh, great. Uh, which is, uh, absolutely loved every second of it, but boy, do we need to hire a professional. Uh, yeah. It, uh, Especially if you want to get things done in a reasonable amount of time. So yeah, now you can easily you're like, how did eight hours just pass? And like, I've just made like a flip flop. I know it's like, okay, we finally got the clock divided down two megahertz. Okay. I have to go home now. Yeah, yeah. The, it's uh, over. Or like the Xilinx tools keep crashing on me constantly. Okay. But uh, and so the, we're looking for basically two skill sets, and it might actually end up being two individuals because even if we manage to find someone who has both high speed digital design skills and FPGA skills, yeah. it probably makes sense to actually just get. So we can do both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Um, the uh, that's pretty much like the the high level summary. Um, and you guys are located in. Oh, San Francisco. we're in South San Francisco, uh, just south of San Francisco, mm. as you might imagine. Nice. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you want to learn more, uh, you can uh, just go to our Salier website uh, and uh, click the. Uh, should be a contact. Dude, you get all there. the logic analyzers you can handle. That's true. They and all the Dell Latitude yes. laptops you want. And then actually, another thing, else, so we actually want to show, so you guys make uh, three different um, logic analyzers now. You've kind of, the, it's the Logic 8, Logic Pro 8, and Logic Pro 16. So you, you had like one, and then you had like six, and now you're back to three. So you're very focused now on the, this is your beginner, intermediate, super express. Yeah, we actually used to have a Logic 4, and if you want one, you could probably contact us. We still have boxes of it. But, and we were really excited because it was the like it was actually cheaper than the original Logic. Yeah. And we sold almost none of them. The, Interesting. Uh, I, I don't remember I how long people really need, like, you know, you need, like, six pins. Yeah, and when, when I think when people looked at the price difference between the Logic 4 and the Logic 8, and they said, you know what, Logic 8 has eight analog inputs, eight digital inputs. Mm. It has, it's 50% faster than the original. Um, and it's just extremely flexible, especially I.O., like, voltage modes that the Logic Logic forward and support, yeah. and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to pay you know, the extra cash. Market fit is tough. You don't know necessarily. And so for these three, one of the things I remember, like six years ago, and you mentioned this here, I remember that there was, you, your company had this, like, you went through this transformation where you, you tried to bring manufacturing in-house. And then I remember, I think Joe Poston was like, boy, that didn't work. We're going to go back to outsourcing. Yeah. But I think, I think this story is really interesting. And I think it's, it's um, really impressive that you're willing to admit that that didn't work out. Like, we put our manufacturing in-house. But it isn't for everybody. And it could be that that's, it wasn't something that was a good fit for your company. So do you want to tell, like, the story of uh, why, sure. why did you try this and why didn't it work out? And what did you learn? Yeah, so... Um 
since the beginning of the company, manufacturing is always a challenge. Uh, we didn't really have any experience with it at all. Yeah, like nicely, and like aluminum milled boxes too. These are like fancy. Thanks. So one of the motivations for having an aluminum enclosure was that you could actually have that manufactured in low volume with no tooling costs. Right, because there's no injection molding. You just you just machine it. Yeah, and okay. we were building the first units on credit cards yeah. and trying to find people with a CNC mill in their backyard hey, and their garage to build it. Okay. The, um, but then eventually it got too popular. Well, we're still fairly volume today, or still fairly low volume today. Um, but the the board, the, the third generation of our products is significantly more complicated, and we already had manufacturing issues with the first two uh, first two products, Logic and Logic Six. So you were outsourcing it to a partner facility. Yeah. Their manufacturing. So what was the problem? Yield, lead time, cost. What was the challenge for you? So the most of the issues were the circuit board assembly. So we would do final assembly at our office. We would order assembled circuit boards. We would order metal cases. Again, then you do the final, yeah. put together, and test. And so with the circuit boards, it was a combination of lead times, quality control. Um, the, like uh, at one point, uh, one of our suppliers gave us counterfeit chips. Like it was just a Dude, whole that mixture sucks. of problems. I've, yeah, I've seen that. You have to be careful. You, have to, you know, other other than that, you have to send them a kit. But then it's like you have to hold all the inventory. And the uh, the the core of the problem, I think, is that. When you're a small company looking for a manufacturing partner and you they don't have very big volumes, yeah. most of the large established players are not interested in talking to you because they're just not going to make that much money off of you per year. Yeah. And so you're kind of left with two categories. Best case scenario, you find a new manufacturing company that's they're actually really good, but they're still growing. They're still look interested in small order volumes because yeah. they haven't filled out with large customers yet. Or low quality companies that they just can't get good many like larger manufacturing yeah. deals because they're what's it's left they're the leftovers yeah okay and so we switched between i think three or four of them um and we didn't really have we didn't have like consultants or anything to help us with manufacturing so we're just yeah. kind of figuring it out we were engineers like, so you're like oh send you the gruber files and yeah and hope for the best thing pops out right the uh and so for our new the third generation we were looking at we actually did some manufacturing in the united states in the bay area uh, which is fantastic. It does cost about five times as much per part um, to do it uh, in California versus overseas. Yeah. And so we were able to do that here and there. Um, but when we started working on new products, uh, Logic Pro 16, our flagship product, has a 923 components now. Oh my uh, God! Is it like mostly passives or? And 600 of something of them are 0201s. Um, oh, the, the, the circuit board. I should have brought one with me. It's a gorgeous circuit board. Yeah. Black and why, why so many? So just. So we have 16 analog inputs, yeah. and you can record all of them simultaneously. And so okay. what we needed was uh, the first stage is called a compensated divider, which you might be familiar with. It okay. just um, uh, just brings the voltage range down with a very high DC impedance. Okay. Uh, then after that, we need to go through like a single ended differential conversion. Uh. I believe one of the models has just like a voltage follower buffer before that. Uh, and then the single the differential conversion goes into a, a uh, low, there's actually a six order low pass filter in there, Bessel. So it's like before you know it, you have like 25 yeah. components per and channel. passives and then per channel and then you multiply it out and then there's 600 components. Yeah. Uh, okay. And it's a double-sided six-layer board or something? The Pro 8 is double-sided at 14 layers, uh, but the Pro 16, because it has so much more real estate inside, is one is eight layers and it's uh, single-sided. Even though it has double layer the board? Yeah. That's insane, it was, dude. It was 14, wasn't it? I think the final version is 14. Okay. It's I, like one layer per signal. Okay. So, um, all right. So you had this, eight, this 900 component board. 
And when you went to your local manufacturer, they're like, well, it's 10 cents per component. And you're like, this thing is going to cost us 90 bucks to assemble. Yeah. It was, in fact, it was, uh, it was six, six cents per component. Yeah. And uh, it was like, wow, we like... We can't do that. And like the price point required for this thing to actually make any money is kind of ridiculous. Okay. So, so then you're like... Well, so we... It was a big conversation between myself and Joe. And um, we thought that... Uh, you know, we're going to try in-house manufacturing for the actual circuit board. Okay. And so we start shopping around. We get a, there's this company that I'm actually not going to mention, uh, but they have the, uh, they have um, <laughs> like sales consultants people yeah. that will like try to help figure out what your needs are and kind of design a system for you. Yeah. But ultimately we ended up getting a uh, pick and place machine, um, dual head, uh, I think it was 5,000 parts per hour. Yeah. And a uh, vapor phase reflow oven. Yeah. And a, just like a manual stencil, uh, stencil printer. Did um, you manually stencil for O201s? Yeah, and so Damn. there's this <laughs> there's this effect called tombstoning, which yeah. you probably you, you probably know far more about this than I do. You're gonna get the smaller the part because there's less mass. The 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 paste just drags on it. You have to have very even heating and perfect paste deposition. Yeah, it has to be like perfect. And so if there's if the component's not placed properly or the solder's not placed properly or you're using the wrong kind of solder or the heat as you mentioned like the heat profile is not perfect then it's um and it's, it's basically it looks like if you can imagine a um you know a little surface mount resistor sitting on a circuit board but when the solder was melting inside of the oven the surface tension on one side uh, one of the two balls of the resistor because it heats up faster yeah. or one has just more thermal mass than the other and so it actually lifts up like, kind yeah. of like a cantilever, it lifts up the resistor, and so now it's kind of poking up, and it looks like a tombstone, and it's a very appropriate name, because when you see the circuit board... With and like, like half the duck, boards, yeah. yeah it is like the most depressing feeling imaginable. You can fix it if it's one or two, but if it's a lot, especially a tool, because you know, then you have to carefully solder it down, which is very time-consuming, and so I think, so you know, it, it sounds like on the simpler board it would have been okay, but this was just, you went in with the toughest design. Yeah, and to... Uh, to make matters worse, we had most of the company's history we were been profitable, yeah. uh, which is fantastic. We were completely self-funded. But in 2013, we actually took out a uh, SBA back loan or Small okay. Business Administration back loan and to fund new product development. And so we actually went negative for uh, most all 2014 and part of 2015. Uh, with the idea that we were going to ship this thing and then the sales from these new products yeah. would bring us to be positive again. But then we have sort of a runway, like a limited amount of time before we run out of savings yeah. to build and ship this thing. And we originally had part of that cash set aside to pay for initial manufacturing, but we burned through that runway. Uh, and uh, we were like, okay, well, we still think we can do this, but now we don't actually have any cash around to build the first run, right? How is this even going to work? And so we did a pre-order. Where you we launched a pre-order, and the uh, <laughs> I'm getting heart palpitations. I know. Yeah, it's uh, so. No, I mean you got to do, do what you got to do. Right, and that is that describes the situation quite perfectly. There's a lot of crying involved, but the um, so we took was pre-orders. This, was this a Kickstarter or an actual pre-order? Pre-order on our website. Yeah. Um, and the because uh, we needed the cash in order to build the circuit boards in order to ship them. Yeah. Uh, and so we were collecting pre-orders, and of course, the moment we announced the new products, even though we were still selling the old products, sales dropped off. Yeah. So now we're not actually shipping any physical goods. The pre-order, let's see. Um, Just it sounds like it became very complicated 
so you know you had this thing and, and of course I, the, the, the ending of the story is you would, would not be able to use this machine so you know you had some day when a decision had to be made yeah. Maybe it was um, you, maybe it was Joe. And what was the decision? How did you, what was that decision? Because we'll just get, we'll get through the painful part and just to the end. Right. So uh, we're, the, the peak pain point is working 100 hours a week in this like warehouse on this pick and place machine, like building circuit boards at a rate slower than is necessary in order to keep up with demand. Yeah. And uh, like while, and, and the worst part is we not only we have this SBA back loan, which um, the government will back part of it on. We had some other loans as well, which we were personally. You know, they yeah, no. So there's no such thing as like, oh, they're like, oh, your corporate liability. No, no, no. Your no, name is exactly. On. So the, 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 basically, what was going to happen if it wasn't for like a half a dozen amazing individuals, we would have gone under. I would have declared personal bankruptcy, oh, and no. it would have been that okay. would have been it. In but like you're still January. here. So, so what what happened? You you just finished enough of the run to f to f fulfill all the. So backers? We were, the, we're trickling out, which was good, thank God. So we were actually shipping, and now we were in a much better position because it wasn't like a hypothetical product. So we have a product, we are shipping it to customers, and we have a huge pile of orders. Yeah. Like, it's just building up every day. People are wondering where these things go. And you have things. a design that you know works. It's actually yeah. the most stressful part. Like, at least you didn't send out 10,000. Turns out there's like four flaws in it. You have to send them all back and rework them. Yeah. We so didn't then, rework the first 500 or so. Well, you know, that's, I mean, that's always it. But then, so then you decide, okay, we can't do this anymore. We have to get a, a partner. Yeah, and so fortunately, um, so one of the companies that we had been working with were local manufacturing before, absolutely love them, is Sparktron. Okay. Uh, they're located in Fremont, California, not too far from us. And we were originally thinking about having them build our initial runs. Yeah. We just could not afford it. It kind of just yeah. broke the profitability of the product. But they're actually a wholly owned subsidiary of a company in Taiwan called OSE, and they we're doing the math and got with uh, talked to us and said, hey, if we do the entire box build for all of your products, like end to end, yeah, like we, we'd love to take you on as a that customer. Would, that would make sense for us because there's enough, there's enough yeah. labor. And okay. the, the price, was, and so, and the biggest thing too was that they agreed to extend us credit uh, so that we would have, give us net 30 terms immediately and we wouldn't have to establish that credit okay. over time, which can be challenging with overseas manufacturers. Yeah. Uh, and so that was good. So now we have a solution, but we still need cash. And so we did two things. One, we raised our prices about 20% okay. because just even, even with this new solution, it was just like, wow, yeah. even if we solve this, we're still in trouble. Yeah. So we raised our prices a little bit. Uh, we sent out an email to our customer list um, explaining why and then linking to a blog post that goes into more detail, which was sort of the like, uh, you know, something's not going right. Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of the public side of it. Uh, and the bottom of that blog post, there was a link to a page saying, hey, we're interested in like raising debt financing. If you'd like to loan us money, please let us know. Okay. And thank God for that. Like that was just amazing. The uh, we had a, probably over a dozen people, individuals interested. Uh, six of them, by uh, six of them ended up like committing uh, between fifty thousand and a hundred thousand. Oh, interesting. Loans. So you actually did sort of like a small, small scale loans from your customer base. Yeah. Some of which are like probably well off engineers who are like, I believe in this product enough that I would, I will. Yeah, I will in invest fact, in it. That was like the best part because um, it was like almost sight unseen. Like these people. Yeah, were, they believed in you. That's so cool. Is this emotional? Okay. Well, I think I think it's good. I think I mean you're you're you know you're I know this is intense because you introduce your family and not only is it like your family but it's like really your family. These people, their jobs are on the line. You design this product. You know it's good, and you're just like. You were at the lowest low, but the engineers came in and they said, we believe in you, we trust you, we're going to help bail you out. And you're, you're still standing, I'm still standing, I think that song. But um, 
I think it's it's amazing. It's what I wanted to ask you because it seemed like a really amazing story, and I've always watching those blog posts from you and from Joe. I've actually always had a soft spot for the the grittiness, the the ability of you guys to be like, we got this zebra printer, we're shipping orders. And oh, that's like, right. And I'm like, oh my yeah, goodness. like this is that's it. This is it. It's like it's it's gruesome. It's just like you're you're down in the dirt. You're like reworking O201s, and that's what it takes. It's that hustle. It's that um, that heart. And I think you guys really have it, which is really important. Uh, and it's how you you made it through one of the biggest challenges of your life. I mean, hopefully there won't be more like that because it's a very intense story. Um, but I think I think people people uh, everyone knows Sale Sale like I'm Sale. Uh, I'm gonna have to remember to pronounce it right. The large canalizers are the best, and uh, there's some best the best people behind it as well. So thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks and, for having and me and telling me this in story. I'm, I feel really inspired. And thank you for everybody who supported them. Y'all are the MVPs. Um, so where can they go to pick up a Sale? Uh, yeah, so you can grab it uh, from Amazon or from our website, salier.com. And the, um, let's see, the, if you already have the product, I recommend checking out the Alpha software. Yes. I think about 38 people are using it right now, so um, it'd be great. We're going to start... Um, Is it like a free sign-up? You just can download it and try it out? Yeah, it's just, it's just you don't even have to sign up. It's just really buried. Okay. Um, we're going to be pushing a lot more people to it. Okay, so secretly find, find them the, the treasure of the Alpha software. Download it, and what's what's some of the things that are better about the Alpha software? So the Alpha software has, and it's still pretty rough, but right now it has analog real-time triggering uh, for the analog products. So if you have a Logic 4, 8, Pro 8, or Pro 16, you can turn on as many analog channels as you want to, cross your fingers. It's fairly high performance, but it can't quite keep up under all the circumstances yet. But if you actually, and you can't find the feature, we still need to work on the um, discoverability. But on the uh, channel label, you just click the little expand button, and it will actually show you a scope view with the trigger line. You can drag the trigger line up and down, and it'll actually real time uh, locate and display the last you know, one second's worth of triggers that were detected. And then you can zoom and pan and log vertically and horizontally. Um, we'll probably, we'll need to, there's a lot of improvement left to be done, yeah. but sort of the core of it actually is. Try working. it out, and then there's that button where you can press it, and it'll go into Slack channel if you find a bug or oh, something right. you like. All right, so the Sale, I, I use this all the time, debug SPI, SD cards, I squared C, uh, reverse engineering, it's my favorite, because you know I'll take two traces and then I can compare them real easily. So I use mine all the time, this is why I, I have this handy. Uh, but thanks for coming by and visiting. I hope you enjoy your trip in New York. Oh, thanks. a good weekend. And uh, people, if you don't have a Salier, go to Salier.com and uh, check out their awesome logic analyzers. It'll definitely save you time, and time is money. So it'll save you money. <laughs> in the long run. All right, it's me, Lady Ada, with me, Mark Garrison. I'm Salier. Now I know how to pronounce it. Thank you for watching this video. Thanks. Bye.